Hello, and welcome to the Cash News Podcast, informative conversations about all things currency and cash. We'll share insights on the issues affecting the world of cash today, like cash security, payments technology, and the cash supply chain. Your hosts, Tom Meehan and Sean Ferrari, hope to inform industry professionals and support better cash security and management by sharing the latest information on trends, strategies, and technology. This is the Cash News Podcast. Now, here's Tom and Sean. Well, hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Cash News Positive. This is a big episode, Sean, number 50. Number 50. Wow. I don't know. I mean, that does that mean I've at least talked to you 50 times in the past couple of years? <laughs> It does, and and we're closing out the summer, which will get us back to our regular schedule. We've got a a, a very special guest, uh, Jens, and I know Jens has been on before, so it's we're, we'll we'll uh, be talking about some things that happened since the beginning of the podcast. And before we get started, I mean, I think Sean, it, you know, it's it's wild. It, it feels like more than fifty episodes, not in a bad way, but um, we started at the very beginning of the pandemic, and really. Um, the world has changed a lot if you think about when when we started and where we are today. So excited to be here, Sean. I'm going to turn it over to you. Yeah, no, thanks, um, and thanks everybody for for joining joining us. And uh, as Tom said, uh, Jens is with us, our our CEO here at Currency Research. So thanks, Jens, for joining us and and supporting uh, the podcast um, for the the 50 plus well 50 episodes we've we've done so far. Um, and I think, yeah, as Tom said, it's been a, an interesting run, right? We we started when we couldn't go out and see anybody, uh, and we were trying to communicate with folks via the, the pandemic, uh, and we thought this was a good way to to keep folks up to date with what was going on. Um, and as we've gotten back out there and, and been traveling about and talking to everybody and, and getting more uh, somewhat of a return to, to normal, um, it's... It's you know proved a effective way to keep talking to people, and we're glad you're you're all listening and and as another channel to get things out there. And we've we've managed to kind of blend what we've done during the podcast to a lot of the different events and places we go, where we'll try to meet people and talk to people live on site and um, get different viewpoints. So it's gone well. Um, so we wanted to we wanted to bring Yens on today to to really talk about. You know some of the the larger trends and things that we see going on in the the cash and payment space. We've we've done a lot um, at Currency Research over the past year um, of of our, our larger global events and our, our networking and communications with folks around the world. Um, so we wanted to to take some time today and talk to to Jens about not only what we've done at Currency Research but also you know what we're seeing out in the the market. Um, in terms of trends of cash and payments. So, so Jens, we made it through the, the first part of a crazy 2023. Um, any, any initial thoughts or just, you know, say hello to everybody. <laughs> yeah, well, first of all, yes, indeed. Let me say hello to everybody. Good to see you two again. Uh, I think it was one of the first podcasts uh, when this all started. So it's, uh, I'm, I'm honored and pleased to be back for the 50th uh, edition of it. Really appreciate uh, you having me here. Um, and it was also fun seeing you guys doing some of the uh, live uh, podcasts from our events. Uh, I remember the last one probably in Mexico City, where I saw you sitting at, uh, of a, at a booth uh, in the exhibition area, actually, which was good fun. Uh, so, yeah, thanks for having me. And, and um, look, it's it's been a very hectic year for us, uh, the first half year, because we had 
um, five events uh, in three locations, which made it a bit more manageable, but five big events in the first half year. So that kept us very busy. We started in in um, Almaty in Kazakhstan with the uh, Silk Road Conference, which was a very first for us, which uh, was first in, in two regards, one first time in that region, but also first where we ran a parallel cash and payments track. And that was um, fantastic. It was much better, actually, than we could have hoped for. Uh, we had like equal numbers of people in both rooms. And you could see that. And, and that's one of the first big lessons for me learned, actually, this year. The payments and cash world are finally coming together. Um, and we've, we've been in this business for 30 years. And we've seen them being in complete separate silos for so many years, uh, almost not talking to each other. The only overlap area was ATMs, where they would typically talk to each other. But other than that, they sit in their own silos. And now cash and payments uh, realize a lot more how they actually depend on each other and how symbiotic that relationship is and, and needs to be. So that was great to see in Almaty. Uh, and then we had some cash and payment uh, events as well um, that we can talk about a little bit more um, and, and some of the observations we made there for, for me, maybe starting with cash, um, the one of the clearest things for me was that people in the cash industry are finally admitting now that there is a change in consumer behavior. I think for a long time we've seen people say, no, no, it's everything's fine, nothing's changing, and look, cash and circulation is growing, so everything's as it was. And uh, I think we've, we've finally passed that point now, which is good, and people are talking about how consumers are using cash differently, how it's being used as a store of value versus at the point of sale. Um, I think there's still a lot to be learned, and I think there's still, I mean, there's even the, the cash paradox term. I don't think we've we've broken that Gordian knot yet. We don't understand yet exactly what's behind that paradox, so there's more work to be done. But at least there's an admission that we've got something to learn here, and and uh, we are learning more and more about it. So that's that's really good. I don't know what, what your guys' uh, perception on that is, what, what you've seen in that regard. Yeah, no, I mean, I think, I mean, to your first, to your first point around kind of finally the the cash and payments kind of worlds come together. I mean, it's it was interesting from even my time at the Fed. Um, you know, we, I was in the Reserve Bank operations and payments systems um, group, and the cash area was its own. It was part of that group, um, part of a payment system, but it was a very standalone grouping um and over time the past few years anyway it seems like it's been more integrated in and then digital currency came along um and it was where does this sit um, from a central bank standpoint is that a research thing is it a payment system thing is it where you know how does it all come together and i think finally there's seems to be some movement um, not just at the Fed, but I think in, in other central banks and, and the industry more broadly, to realize, indeed, cash, along with digital currency, along with electronic payments, um, are all payment systems. And it is really about how the user wants to pay, right? It's not, it's, it's just different options. They're all payment services. Um, some are some are provided free of charge uh, to the public like cash and some are charged um, or fee structures like credit cards, but nonetheless, they're all different payment payment services. So I think there is that larger trend and um, I will take that 
you know, you, you mentioned the, the conference we did in Kazakhstan, which, which worked very well um, in terms of the cash and payments thing. And we are trying that again, right, in, in Orlando uh, this upcoming. We had a lot of positive feedback. I think what we've seen as we've put the cash and payments track together is that there is this crossover interest. Um, maybe not from everybody. Um, some folks are just focused on cash and some are focused on digital payments. That's the way the, the market is. But there is kind of, at least from the central bank standpoint, from large organizations that have a treasury function, right? Even small organizations that have a treasury function need to worry about all sorts of payments. Um, so yes, they're interested in how to make cash work more efficiently, um, but they're also interested in how to make electronic payments work or what, how, how that you know affects their 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 lives. And with FedNow coming out um, as one of the developments, uh, everybody wants to talk about what does that mean um, for, for for payment. So we're we're seeing that and we're seeing at the commercial bank side um, as well, kind of this uh, interest in both sides, you know, not just the same, yes, the same people to a degree, but also uh, colleagues, right, in the same function um, are interested in both sides and talking about it. So there's there's no longer, I don't think, um, I don't know, there, there could be, but it doesn't seem like there's this competition as strong as it was before between cash and electronic payments. There is still in some areas, but it, it does seem like more and more people, kind of to your earlier point, have started saying, okay, and maybe some of it is, that cash growth is still continuing strong. Um, so it's, it's, I think maybe some of the like, oh my God, cash is going away, we must fight for it um, mentality, at least widespread. Uh, you know, there, there isn't as much of that because I think people are maybe a little more comforted that, all right, well, it doesn't seem to be going anywhere, even though there's all these other options. It's a bit of a rant, but. <laughs> yeah, I, I think, uh... I think you're spot on. We we talk about this a lot on the podcast of the there's like it's almost like us versus them. You're oh cash is cash is king and then there can't be anything else. And then when you get into the digital space, it gets even crazier. Like I mean, I uh when we were in DC, Sean and I were doing the podcast and someone came up with us and said, Why would you name a podcast the cash news? Cash is dead. And it's like so there's all of these like swinging way, you know, sides of it, but there's no doubt that there's an evolution in the way people uh, use money. So consumers clearly are changing and some of it's demographic, some of it's convenience, some of it probably was escalated by COVID, but I think it's a great point that you bring up is that, um, and I say it all the time, I don't, I don't see um, in a developed country, uh, uh, you know, a paper note going away in a very, very long time. But I also am very aware of that the digital payments that are happening are happening. And one of the things that, you know, gents, thank you and thank you, John, for currency research is that there's not enough organizations trying to educate and get information out there. That was one of the premise of the podcast of, and, you know, I know before we were joking, like I have people, you know, asking me about Fed now and I'm like, you know, it, can you believe there's a cryptocurrency that the Federal Reserve made? And I'm like, um, that's not what FedNow is. And then they're like, look, I saw this video on TikTok and it's it's wild how much misinformation and misinformation at, at both a commercial and a consumer level. So kudos to, to continue to try to educate. And I think um, it's such a relevant, important point. It's also important to know that um, 
you know, while control tech does a lot in cash, we are very aware of what is going on. And I think a lot of you know folks that we talk to interact with, um, and it's probably sometimes subconscious bias are very focused on what's important to them, right? If you if you sell smart safes, then that's going to be what it is. If you do that, if you're a digital currency guy, someone from Google, that's just going to be this. And that's human nature. So the panels and the education really help. And I think it's spreading the word of, hey, this isn't a bad thing. This is nothing that's occurring is bad. It's just make sure you're educated so you know, so you know how to take advantage of it. Um, I think uh, the diary studies... Um, are, are accurate, but if you read them, they're they're actually saying, "Hey, this is happening." By the way, we all know that digital payments were. This has been a progressive thing. This isn't new. People were using more and more. So, great point. Yeah, and uh, maybe just I, I want to come back to the the digital currency discussion uh, because there's uh, there have been a lot of interesting panel discussions we had at our events, particularly in Cape Town as well. I want to reference some of those. Uh, but just on, on cash usage as well, I think the other aspect that's good to see now is that more and more countries and more and more companies are thinking about how cash can be distributed differently. Um, A, again, to adapt to different consumer behavior, but also to accept the sustainability challenge um, because it's become obvious that sustainability issues in around cash are not so much in the production side. Um, there isn't that much of an opportunity really on cash production to become more sustainable. There are some things that can be done, but the industry actually has been looking at a lot of uh, issues there in the past already. But it's really the transport side where most of the carbon emissions originate from. And uh, now people looking at pushing the cash cycle more towards the consumer. Things like uh, Sonnet with their virtual ATMs or um, cash-in, cash-out machines, recyclers, uh, or... Um, some of the the other technologies, uh, app-based technologies now that are coming as well to to help with making cash distribution more um, sustainable uh, is is also good to see, and I'm 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 glad that that is happening because again I think the industry has been a bit uh, too used to running the same way again and again every year and, and not really innovating, and now there's a lot of innovation happening, which is is great. I think it's needed. Yeah. Um... Maybe just since the sustainability thing, I mean, question I'll toss that to you, Tom, for a second. I mean, you've you've obviously been busy pushing uh, your new uh, EcoLock bags and and so forth. What have you seen? You know, from a have you seen a lot of interest in it, a lot of uptake? Like, how does that actually playing playing out? Yeah, no, thank you. I mean, I, I think sustainability is on everybody's minds. And for us as, you know, a tamper up and a packaging manufacturer, it was a bit of a journey to say, you know, how do we do it right? And how do we, you know, keep the cost down and be part of that transportation cycle, understanding what our role is. We've seen a huge interest, much like anything else. There is a lot of misinformation and confusion around sustainability. Um, and that sometimes is driven by governments. So the EU is, is ahead, India is ahead of, of the United States, and um, there's still a lack of overall standardization. But the greatest thing is everybody is talking about it. And I think, um, at least from my perspective, people, I, I know that we are people are genuinely concerned and interested in it. It was it isn't just a kind of a conversation. And you know, in Mexico City, the sustainability panel 
uh, was amazing because uh, I was so it was great to be a part of it because we talked about from the creation of the note through the transfusion angle, protecting the note to disposing the note. And that's what you need. You need, you need that collaborative. You need everybody involved because it should truly make it work. Everybody has to be involved because if one person isn't, you know, adopting a piece of it, it kind of unravels. And I, I'm starting to see in my travels um, a lot of high level CEOs talking about that being a, a focal point and, and, and not saying it, um, for entertainment value or to try to get people to listen, but like saying, no, we need to do something about this. And I mean, um, I think uh, there was a CEO forum, uh, a forum on risk and there were some, it, I think this was a private forum. So I'll, I'll keep that on, that way, but I was at it. And I mean, the, some of the largest financial institutions in the world, the, you know, the sustainability was in their top three challenges and there was climate change involved in it. And you, in some cases, if you looked at the pedigree, you go, they would never say that. No, this is a major focus. It has to be, you know, we know it's a challenge. So it's a really good one. And again, uh, I, I don't want to be repetitive, but, you know, in the industry, you know, the fact that currency research is looking at sustainability and, and having that open dialect really does help. I will tell you, that I see a trend throughout all of the trade organizations and research organizations that I'm with that almost all of them now have sustainability councils. So uh, and the Association for Equipment Manufacturing has one. Like, I mean, everybody is starting to realize it, but that also drives back the message of it's not an easy challenge. It's not an inexpensive challenge. It requires everybody to sit together. And um, with specific, with a paper note, there is a better way to do it. We, we know there is, and we know some folks are further ahead, but being able to share that information, our, our customer you know, whether it be on the retail side or the banking side, overwhelmingly is interested in it. Um, it's a matter of what does it mean for them and, you know, just educating and explaining the differences and how it will help. I see it as the next three to four years being a major, major uh, topic in everything we do. You're going to hear it more in digital. You're going to hear it in, in, in that piece. And yes, I'm sure some of it will be marketing driven, but the bulk of the folks that I'm talking to um, are very, very interested. And I think, Sean, like in Mexico City, I was getting on the bus and someone stopped me and was, you know, gave me their card and said, hey, can we just chat, see, you know, compare notes of what we're doing? And that, that to me is really, that what is really rewarding. It's that's really, we're really making a difference when you have people that just met that are going, hey, let's just connect on this and see, maybe we can share ideas because here's where we're having challenges. So um, I, I, I definitely think, the next two to three years, you're gonna you're gonna see it, and I do think that it will affect in some countries more than others. You know how money's printed; it, it just will. Yep, for sure. Um, so, Jens, you started going in terms of how money's printed. Uh, this will be kind of opposite of that, but um, from a from a digital currency standpoint, you kind of started started going there, mentioning you wanted to to talk about some of the observations we had, um, some of the discussions we've had um, around that. Yeah. So, well, you, you already mentioned uh, how not only politically charged, but emotionally charged and uh, illogically charged uh, the whole discussion has become, at least in some parts of the world and, and in some circles. Uh, I think that's that's a really concerning thing. And that's where I think we all have a, a responsibility to educate. Um, although, as a personal note, I think some people don't want to be educated and they are quite happy in there echo chamber and it will be difficult to reach them but uh, i think we, we still shouldn't give up 
Um, but what for me was most interesting in uh, Cape Town, where we had the Central Bank Payment Conference and the uh, Global Payment Summit, was to see the debate between the central banking community and the commercial um, community, so commercial banking and payments, etc., talking about um, CBDCs and whether they're actually needed or not. And uh, for me, it was actually encouraging to see how much the commercial sector was trying to talk CBDCs away and say, oh, we, we don't need this and we've got everything we need. We've got all of the solutions already that that are required. There's no use case for CBDC. For, for me, that was in a way that was saying, okay, they're really taking note now that there is a potential competitor uh, coming up and that um, they're a little worried about that that new technology. For me, that's a good thing because, again, a new technology, I think, can can just make this whole marketplace more competitive, uh, create new solutions, create new user experiences, create a whole set of new rails to come up with things that we can't even imagine yet, uh, which might be difficult to create based on the current commercial rails. Not saying that's a global thing, but in some markets, I think that's definitely the case. So uh, I think that's that was encouraging to see that debate. Um, and it was also uh, interesting to see um, and that's not a, a cryptocurrency or it's not a digital currency, but how the PIX system in Brazil has taken off. That is a system that's running on um, faster payment rails. Uh, but they've done certain things to make it really successful. And they've got an adoption rate, which is just outstanding. Uh, I think they've got like a 40% penetration rate by now um, in a very, very short time frame. And I think uh, people were again watching that and thinking, okay, how can we learn from that? What have they done actually differently, uh, potentially then to bring back into the CBDC world? How could we then adopt some of these principles that they used on the CBDC to make sure that's going to be adopted quicker than, uh, to be fair, has been the case in those live implementations that are out there at the moment, because none of them have really taken off like uh, PIX has in Brazil. I um, don't know whether you want to add something to that. Yeah, no, I would I would just say I agree. I mean, it, and it wasn't just in Cape Town. I, I went to a couple other conferences um, in the first part of the year, and I think the it's an interesting place in the the CBDC space in particular right now um, because there some conferences where two years ago there was a lot of CBDC discussion um, it was noticeably absent um, from discussion and some of that is I think what you were what you were referring to from maybe the commercial market or whoever was organizing the event kind of uh, wanting to push more commercial solutions rather than CBDC solutions. Some of it is, it is a rather politically charged topic at the moment. And depending on, again, the agendas and what you want to push, maybe you just don't want to get into that, um, into that space. Um, and I think there is a bit of, a bit of a, um, not pause, there's still a lot of research being done and, and folks investigating things, but there's, there seems to be a little less at least public momentum um, for what's going on in the CBDC space right now. It, it, it just seems to be, I think central banks are, are still analyzing it. Some pilots and good testing are being done. Um, and that's kind of where it is. Um, and there's, there's less of a, of a debate in certain areas anyway, around, is it, 
what are the use cases? Is it useful? Should we be doing it? Should we not be doing it? Um, and I think, again, part of that is because those those debates at the moment are are increasingly tough to have because they they are not they're not particularly useful in the sense of I think I think folks have realized that some the folks designing them and that are in the industry have kind of realized CBDC is a potential option we should explore it it could have a place in the payment landscape um, whereas the potential users of the CBDCs aren't convinced of that yet, so it's it's hard to it's hard to discuss it beyond that <laughs> that point. It's kind of just like we've agreed. A lot of the, the industry seems to have agreed that research is a good thing. Let's see, um, but the political landscape is in the place where you're you're either really against it or you're kind of ambivalent. It's 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 a hard place. It's not like there aren't that many like strong like advocates of like we must have a CBDC. Uh, it's kind of like yeah, I don't care. Maybe um, sure it might might work or absolutely not. It, it is the worst thing known to man. Um, and in that kind of dynamic, it's it's a little hard to have a have a useful discussion. So I mean, it's been it's been interesting um, for sure. And I think. The, the one, you know, I, I would phrase it pretty much the same as you did in terms of coming out of our, our event in Cape Town, which was the commercial side definitely was arguing for their their solutions, not really seeing the need for a CBDC. Yet it came up in almost every discussion we had, even if it wasn't focused on a CBDC, it, somebody brought it up. Um, so, you know. It's it's kind of one of those. Um, I don't think anybody's really sure what to do with it yet. Um, it's, it's just it's there, and people are trying to to figure it out. Um, yeah, I think um, you know I've been in a couple different workshops, both with you guys and without, and um, the the advocates for it generally have a vested interest, and they're uh, I think one thing I, I I am hoping for is you know when the more competition, you know, breeds innovation and breed, you know, so seeing that out there, but, um, you know, we did, the, we did with, with currency research, we did a, a, a workshop designing workshop around CDBCs and everybody came to the consensus. I mean, everybody in the room, it was only 55 people, but they all came to the consensus of there needs to be more education and awareness globally of what the benefits are. And then this was like a big takeaway that everybody said, although they didn't say it the same way is, and you need to, in, you know, everybody needs to be incentivized. Like people aren't going to do this if they if there's not a real benefit to them. And if you're a bank, um, you have a, you have a methodology today. You don't necessarily need it. So how do we how do you do that? I I'm with you, Sean. I, I it feels like there's a lot of people that are interested, but I, it doesn't feel like there's any a lot of people spearheading it outside of the technology providers that would enable it. They are very, very in tune. And then, um, you know, Argentina, Brazil, some of those countries are much more keen to it, but that's that's out of a necessity, right? They have to do something differently because of the way they're built. Um, but it, it's it's a topic that I, I personally and professionally believe will happen, but I also think there's a lot more to it. And 
Um, you know, maybe I'm wrong, but I think it's it's not a quick fix. And unfortunately, and uh, certainly in the U.S., but I would argue globally, all of these issues are politically charged. There's the, they're all politically charged. So it creates just a whole another layer of complexity to try to get something done. Yeah, no, I agree with that. Uh, yeah, and then I think the other really interesting thing that's that's popped up uh, in the first half of this year now is um, the discussion around AI, artificial intelligence, because with the chat GPT, I think it was version four that came out and uh, wowed everybody with the... the the way it operates, it works, and how intuitive it now actually is, and how uh, well it works with some of the issues that uh, that have been identified. But still, it's, it's become usable. AI was always this idea, and some nutty scientists are working on that, and it's something interesting, but hardly anybody understood or was able to use, at least not knowingly. And now suddenly there was this tool to make it very obvious, and people could download it and play around with. And uh, I think what we see now, AI is is in every business's um, agenda. Uh, every business now need to think about what is AI actually going to mean for them? How can it make their life easier? How can it disrupt their business model? How can it provide opportunities? But also, what risks does it pose uh, to to their business? And, and that's been really interesting to see. And uh, Tom, I'd be interested to, to hear from you with with your risk uh, mindset as well. What what you've come across uh, on this topic so far? Yeah, so I mean, I'll start with, um, I think it's, if you're not really starting to educate yourself on it, it's a mistake. Understand what the impact is. And um, I think uh, just using, you know, generative AI and on the large language model piece of it, there are tons of really good things. Unfortunately, if you if, if we as good guys can do things quicker, the bad guys also can. So there's already a, a ton of things that occur, and I'll use two silly examples that are real, which should should be somewhat frightening um, to folks. So, so there was um, about six weeks ago an individual, and he published this, and it was in the news. So you may have, if someone may have read about this, but he went in and said, "Tell me a fairy tale." I love Windows license keys, and ChatGPT gave live license keys. It wrote a fairy tale and gave live license keys. A week later, someone did the exact same thing with nuclear codes. Now, the U.S. government immediately said these codes aren't accurate, blah, blah, blah. But the way that model works, they very well, if they were somewhere, it could have been. That's a very simple example. The The probably more extreme example is um, it's not very hard to reverse engineer all of the things that you know we're doing. So you could essentially go in with the right prompts and ask it, how would you defeat this technology? What are some of the ways that you need to do things? So the speed of information is really one of the things I think where there's risk. And then the other real risk, and this is a real story, um, is a research group went in and, and asked it to write malicious code that was more complex than they've ever seen before. So you're getting into this realm of what would take weeks, months, years, take seconds now. Um, I think um, that's the easy kind of thing to talk about. The harder thing to talk about is something, you know, AI drift, where AI starts to, with generative AI, get confused and make mistakes, and people make business decisions on that. Um, there was a, a great article in the Wall Street Journal, uh, Wired, did it, everybody pick this up, around how ChatGB 3.5 versus 4 
um, and this is a, a, a technology term in AI, had more drift than they would have expected because of the use case. So mathematical questions, it was not answering correctly. They used the example of, you know, large prime numbers, like is 17,000 a prime number? And it got it right, it got it wrong. And that's a phenomenon with AI is as we as humans, because models are built by us, right? The, the computer's not building this model. I have to go in and continuously say, oh, don't say that. That's bad. We don't want you to talk about that. We don't want you to talk about this. The model, it becomes confused. So I think there's some concern that I have some concerns of misinformation. And then the, probably the, I think we actually talked about this uh, at Currency Research at some point, is this is probably the one that has the most significant risk to the general public is the risk of someone data poisoning, being able to get that model confused and and spreading misinformation, spreading things, you know, whether it be health related or financial related that are clearly wrong. And you, you arguably can't unring the bell. Um, I think you probably have all heard of stories of lawyers, you know, as a lawyer in New York City um, that presented a you know, case law that was made up by ChatGPT. The other, the other firm was like vigorously trying to figure this out. And then he ended up um, he did not lose his license, believe it or not, but he was reprimanded by the bar because he went in and he basically just researched case law. I didn't made it up. There was another instance of a professor who someone researched who said that was a sex offender was not. It just made it up um, based on the way they asked the question. So there's a lot of different risk plateaus. On the flip side, I think the benefits that it'll it'll allow for folks far out reach the risk. I think there's Similar to cryptocurrency, you know, Sean and I used to talk about something. There's no regulation around AI. That's a concern. And then in some countries, you have extreme regulation, like we're not going to allow it, which doesn't make sense because then the bad guys are going to have it and the good guys don't. So the, the lack of regulation is more of a concern of mine than other things. And this pack of technology companies getting together and all shaking hands and saying they're going to do the right thing. Uh as we know in the financial sector, if it's not regulated and, and enforced, it's very hard. There's a big, big gray area. Um, but I do think that, you know, in common day society, there are things that it will dramatically help folks with. Um, and you often, the news media is the news media. You only hear about cheating, the bad things. You don't hear about all of the good things that it will do. Um, but I would say, Probably for currency research, it's going to be a topic that's going to come up heavily soon. Um, there was a recent really well-written article that between Amazon and Walmart, they expect AI to increase sales by $580 billion over a three-year period. So like, I mean, when, and, and the reality is that's allowing AI to figure out customer patterns better, allowing customers to find things better, allowing all of those things together. So, uh, I think that, as you are probably both aware, sometimes financial institutions are slower to adopt some technologies. So I think they're still like, oh, what is what is it what does it mean for us? But I absolutely see that well, you know, we're going to see more of it. And I think the risk plateau is unfortunately just going to increase. They're in the process of Chat GPT, OpenAI is in the process of writing the engine to pull real time info from the internet. That's when you really, really run a risk because it, it, you start to get into this realm of misinformation and confusion, whether it's intentional or not. So exciting stuff, but 
It's uh, there's a lot of examples of what to be worried about. But if you want to proofread an email and you want to you want to ask it a question about something, I mean, you're going to get remarkably more efficient in your day to day life. And I I also would argue that much like all of the things that have occurred in the last you know fifty years, just like why I, I equate it to Y two K. If everybody remembers the year two thousand, I remember it vividly. I know exactly where I was. The, the world did not blow up. As a matter of fact, pretty much no one saw anything happen before that. There were people hiding in bunkers. This is very similar. And like, no, this is just part of the evolution of technology. It's part of what's occurring. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, I think there is a lot to talk about there. And uh, Tommy teed it up well. We've, we, we think there is a lot to talk about and a lot of value in bringing the industries together around it. Um, particularly in the central bank space, um, there's how do central banks use this technology? Um, financial institutions as well um, as part of that. But, you know, from the central bank aspect, uh, if financial institutions are slow to do technological development and adopt and are risk averse, central banks are even more so, right? So they need to figure out how does it impact their operations? How should they be? conducting more efficient research how should they be conducting uh supervision and regulation um how should they um be looking at monetary policy there's all sorts of of ways that that ai can help and to that end we're starting a central bank ai, AI conference um in london next year uh, next september so about a year from now um and uh we're, we're doing it along with the digital currency conference a, a week in london so we're I'm um, really excited about that and think there's a lot, a lot to talk about. Um, you know, one of the things you, you, you mentioned and it kind of crystallized as you both were talking um, that kind of goes through everything we talked about today was this, this concept of like speed, right? Whether we're talking about efficiency, whether we're talking about new technologies like a, a FedNow instant payments, AI being able to, to reduce um, time, between different things like and and what kind of stuck in my head um and we said it before but it just kind of crystallized a little more is that the way the financial or the money movement system is really built um it, for security um or just the way it's built but it's, it's based on a lot of delays or just process process points that take time <laughs> um and in that time you have time to either correct messaging, if you're talking about bank runs or pause things. I mean, you look at what happened earlier this year, right? And this is without AI. I don't think AI was involved, maybe it was, I don't know. Um, but you, you know, you had a case where you could instantaneously go online and move money from a bank when you thought there was an issue and banks failed, right? Um, historically, there's time built into that process. Uh, you have to walk to the bank. <laughs> you have limits on how much you can get out of the ATM. You have, there's just time. And in that time, you calm down. <laughs> That's the reason the circuit breakers got put into the stock market, right? Like, okay, let's everybody take a breath, um, yeah. not have a feeding frenzy. Um, it's just kind of one of those, those things. Well, now that you have AI that can do things instantaneously, instant payments, uh, which again, are these are good things, <laughs> but there are consequences, right? Instant payments, which now can move money um, instantaneously um, from one place to the other. Digital currencies, um, which also feed on that kind of quick movement of, of money. Um, there are 
a lot of instant things happening that can feed off each other and move fast. And how do we, I don't know. I mean, I know people are thinking about it, but you know, what does that mean? Um, are we going to see more volatility in terms of whether it's bank runs or I don't, I don't know. Um, just, or you mentioned criminals, um, you know, criminal enterprises, there used to be time. Uh, we've seen it in the ATM market, right? Where people would try to find gaps on like a Friday afternoon. So you could go and like hit ATMs without it. I don't know. There's a way to game the system. Um, so you, you could get a lot of money over the weekend before systems kicked up on the, the next Monday to, to kind of rectify what happened. Um, again, time involved um, and limits and all that sort of stuff. You know, what happens in an instant world um, where you can't do all those checks? Maybe, maybe you can. Maybe the AI and other things will help do those checks faster, but that's all stuff to talk about. I think there is this danger we have with uh, the reduced speed of things. Maybe. <laughs> Something that just kind of popped in my head. Yeah, no, I think you're right. And uh, I can't remember the title of the book now. It was uh, the same guy who wrote Moneyball, um, Michael Lewis. He, he wrote a book about this uh, this automated trading as well, and how these guys sit as close as possible to the uh, stock exchange, connect their computers, and within milliseconds take those decisions whether to buy and and sell, and and what kind of impact that had on the stock market when this first started. Uh, and, and hence circuit breakers, et cetera, et cetera. So I, I think you're right. There's so many things we can't even imagine yet what impact they might have. And um, and again, I think that's why it's so important that people understand how it works, that they understand the mechanics behind it. So as things happen, they're quick to understand where the problem was and then address it. If you then have to start from scratch, um, then uh, yeah, I see a lot of issues coming our way, definitely. Yeah. But that's food for uh, more discussion at more events and more conferences and more places to educate people because I think that's another thing we heard today. It's just important to educate and get the right information out and um, you know have these discussions. Yeah, and and to, I have to say that keeps our lives really interesting because there's so much happening now in this space. Um, uh, I can't remember when last uh, things happened actually that exciting in the financial services industry. I think there's a pace of innovation at the moment, uh, which is amazing. I, I enjoy it. It's it's great. It keeps keeps us on our toes and it doesn't get boring, which is good. Yeah, for sure. Cool. Well, I, I don't know. Well, anything else or are we uh are we good for the day? No, I think I think we're just about out of time. So Jens, thank you so much. And uh, thank you for all the support with the podcast and having us at the shows. I'm super pumped about the AI thing. I mean, I, I actually can't wait to see that. I think it'll be really, really interesting. So um, thank you for coming. And uh, the congratulations to, to you, Sean, for the 50th episode. And we'll go f we'll go to the next one. Yeah. Thank, thank like, you both for having me. Also, congratulations for me, 50. It's, it's, it's great. I know a lot of time goes into these things. And uh, I applaud you for keeping it up and, and keep doing it. It's, uh, it's a great initiative. Thanks for doing that. And Thanks for having me again. Uh, hopefully I'll be back for another one, if not the 100th, then maybe somewhere in between. <laughs> yeah, thank you very much. All right. Thank you, everybody. Awesome. Thanks, everybody. Bye. Take care. Thanks for listening to the Cash News Podcast. We hope you found this episode insightful. Don't forget to like and review us on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. 
Follow us on LinkedIn and Twitter, and be sure to visit us at thecashnews.com to stay up to date with the latest on the world of cash. Thanks again for listening to the Cash News Podcast.